by employing a successful spying campaign against Absalom through David's loyal companion, Hushai, his hunt for David is frustrated to the mortal hurt of Ahithophel. This is the 37th sermon in the series Kingdom, Dynasty, and Glory, an exposition on the second book of Samuel. A roll covenant reading coming from Second Samuel and chapter 17, the first 23 verses. But I would like to begin to get the context here just a little bit from chapter 16, beginning of verse 20, and then we'll move through verse 23 of chapter 17. Beginning in verse 20, Second Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. Beloved of the Lord, this is the word of God unto us this morning. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And Hithphel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he had left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art a poor to thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night, and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seeketh is as if all returned. So all the people shall be in one piece. And the same pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Then said Absalom, Come now, Hushai, the archite also, and let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel had spoken after this manner, Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and that they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps. In the field, and thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit, or in some other place, and it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt, for all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee, from Dan even unto Beersheba as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground, and of him and of all the men that are with him there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city... Then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Then said Hushai unto Zadok, 
Enter Abathar the priest. Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed by Enrogal, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went and told them, and they went and told the king David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Behirim, which had a well in his court, whither they went down. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house, they said, Where is Ahamaz and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, They be gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came to pass after they were departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people that were with him and they passed over Jordan by the morning light. There like not one of them that was not gone over Jordan. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Paul writing to Timothy, Second Timothy and chapter 2, the first seven verses, as he speaks to the pastor at the church of Ephesus as to the character of of the soldier of Christ. He says this, by the same inspiration that moved the prophet to write, Paul writes, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Thus far as the reading of God's most holy, inerrant, and finally authoritative word, the grass withers, the flower thereof fades away. But God's holy word is given to us this day by the grace of God and by the mercy of God for our admonition. At this point, David is still on a run. He's still in exile with Absalom seeking to position himself as the undisputed king, of course, by killing King David by assassination. And even though David had secured a spy in the court of the rebel Absalom, it seems as if Absalom at this point is positioned to take the kingdom from David. All looks very, very promising for Absalom at this point, and not so promising for David. And while David is still God's man and the ordained king of Israel in principle, it seems as if his power base, David's power base, now resides with with Absalom in actuality. He has all the cards. He has all the power. Absalom, it seems, is now the new face of the kingdom, And the new face of the king 
on the throne of Jerusalem. And as a rule, wicked men gravitate toward power. That was Absalom's problem. He was a wicked man. He was gravitating, coveting the power of his father David. But in order to secure a seat at the table of power, men, like Absalom, must prove themselves essential to the power base. They have to weasel themselves in so that they could be part of the power base, or that they might even take for themselves a powerful position. Ahithophel was such a man. His desire was to be seated in the midst of power, in the midst of that power base that Absalom had, so that he too, at one point or another, could wield the power of authority. He now believes that his time has come, and he is ready to position himself in the hall of power by advancing Absalom's claim to the throne. And in the vanity of his own mind, because, of course, he was a narcissist in his own right, much like Absalom, in the vanity of his own mind, seeing an opportunity to advance his cause, his own cause, not so much Absalom's, but his own cause, Ahithophel proposes a strategy to rid Absalom of his adversary David and secure the kingdom once and for all, under the rulership of Absalom, bringing together all of the tribes under Absalom's rule. Now, if his strategy was successful, then Absalom would be forever indebted to him, and by being indebted to his strategy and the victory that he would then have for himself, Ahithophel would then have that seat at the table. He would be under the authority of the king, but having similar authority. Absalom would be forever indebted to him and he would gain a position at the right hand of the king. Now consider his plan. Verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, notice his words now, let me, he's asking the question, let me now choose out 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night. Now Ahithophel is no fool. He has rightly assessed the character of Absalom as a controlling, rebellious narcissist because it takes one to know one. So he doesn't come right out and tell Absalom what he wants to do. And so he, he sort of asks him. He said, let, let me now, let me have your permission. So he appeals to Absalom's authority. May I have your permission to get all of these men together? And here we have a man whose counsel was as if God was actually speaking. Here we have Ahithophel who was seen as God's mouthpiece. And he's telling Absalom, let me do this and I could launch this plan for you and you will be victorious. And of course, you have Ahithophel, God's man, seemingly so, telling Absalom that he will take care of everything. And this must have puffed the man up incredibly. Absalom must have said, wow, this is really great. I have God's man telling me that he's going to do this for me and we're going to be victorious. And what we must remember is that whenever a man is puffed up through flatteries, and that's what Absalom was having happen to himself, he was being puffed up through the flatteries of Ahithophel, he is most vulnerable to failure. Note the question, Ahithophel's question. Let me now choose out 12,000 men to pursue after David. And then he says, I will arise. But note that additional wording. I will arise. I'm going to do this for you. Well, Absalom might have interpreted Ahithophel's suggestion as a service to himself. Ahithophel is actually positioning himself as the man 
who will win the throne for Absalom. In other words, he's positioning himself to be the kingmaker. That was his plan. He wanted to be the kingmaker so that he might wield more influence within the court of the king, securing his position, and perhaps one day setting himself up as king should the situation present itself. He then gives Absalom the details. And I will come upon David, I will come upon him when he is weary and weak-handed and will make him afraid. Notice all this is his presumption here. And make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I, I will smite the king only. I'm going to smite the king myself. Notice he's assuming a number of things. First, he assumes, wrongly, that David is tired. Notice, while he is weary, now while this might be true to some extent, he has failed to remember that David had been in exile and on the run before, when he was running from Saul. And even though at this time he's much older, we have to understand, David is a seasoned warrior. He's not some mealy-mouthed, snowflake. He's a seasoned warrior. He was seasoned for this situation. Ahithophel underestimates the resolve of David. And that's a lesson for us. Never underestimate your enemy's resolve. Never underestimate your enemy. Ahithophel also failed to factor in God who might pity David by giving him the stamina that he needed to remain on the run indefinitely. Secondly, he assumes that David is weak-handed Perhaps Ahithophel was insinuating that David was too old and had lost his grit. And that's basically what he's saying. He's an old man. He can't fight anymore. He's tired. He's a tight old man. I'm going to come upon him and I'm going to whoop him, kill him, take the throne for you, my brother. So he's insinuating that David was too old and had lost his grit. And the army that he was with was so insufficient to maintain a successful armed resistance that they would be easily rolled over. He may also be insinuating that since David was on the run with his family, he would be hindered in the battle. He may even be referring to the fact that they had little provisions to keep them strong for any battle that they might have to face. If David and his men are not properly nourished, of course, they had to be properly nourished. How could they fight valiantly? A famished army is a weak army. And there's another lesson. We, as God's soldiers, as God's army, must never grow weary in our work of the kingdom. And when we find ourselves in such a state of feebleness, of weariness, we need to step back and recuperate. Whether we need to regenerate ourselves emotionally, spiritually, physically, or even intellectually, we cannot go into battle in a weakened state. And that means we must be mindful of our overall condition. We must Ask ourselves, are we ready for battle? We must be mindful of our overall condition since we never really know when we're going to be called into battle. We must be well read. We must be well prayed. We must be well admonished. We must be well prepared physically, emotionally. We must meditate upon the word of God so that when God says, now is the time, then you are prepared for the time. There is no shirking in this life. The rest comes after we are with Christ in glory. Number three, Ahithophel then assumes that David is afraid. Knowing the man, David, 
At least as we know the man David, this seems to be a stretch. Even as a youth, David was a man of great faith and great courage. He was a seasoned warrior. He was a seasoned strategist. And by this time, now being an older man, and I say not an old man, of course, an older man, he's probably more resolved than ever before. Experience makes a man grittier. In the battle for Christ, as the man gets more in tune with his faith and with his God and with the presence of God and the the way stations that he has come through, the way marks of how God delivered him here and delivered him there and blessed him here and blessed him there and taught him there and taught him in the other place. Now David is seasoned, well seasoned. A leathery man. A man of grit. And yet Ahithophel is assuming that He's afraid. But I believe that David is at this point more resolved than ever before, more hardened than he was as a youth, more gritty, more cunning. For Ahithophel to assume that David is afraid simply because he was forced to flee Jerusalem is a far reach from reality. And yet, this is exactly what Absalom needed to hear, that his father was afraid of him. And Ahithophel knew that Absalom needed to hear that. So once again, Ahithophel's fundamental problem was that he underestimated his adversary. Again, let me repeat, never ever underestimate your enemy. Because when you underestimate your enemy, you tend to be less vigilant. In order to move the king to give his blessing on the attack, Ahithophel sets forth his argument. However, he then adds something further to sweeten the proposal. Notice verse 3. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. Isn't that what you want? You want to be worshipped? You want Israel to worship at your feet? You want everybody together to have this, this big kumbaya kind of hug? I'll bring all the people back unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. You'll have the kingdom that David had. Ahithophel promises to restore all of the people that were on David's side to go to the side of Absalom, which he says will bring peace and unity to the kingdom, as if nothing happened. And that too is what Absalom needed to hear. In Absalom's mind, Ahithophel's counsel, at at least initially, was as if God himself was speaking. And that made it very hard for anyone, and this is what Ahithophel knew. It made it hard for anyone to refuse the plan and to argue with the plan. So no one's going to argue against the mouthpiece of God. It is very hard for anyone to refuse or argue with the plan. Notice verse 4. And the saying, at least initially, and the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. So you have Absalom and all the elders of Israel say, wow, what a great, what a great guy, what a great plan. Notice everyone's on board even the elders of Israel. But why would the elders of Israel be on board with this plan? Didn't they remember, didn't they remember the blunder that the elders made in the past when they sought after a king like the other nations, thereby choosing Saul? Have they forgotten of their blunders? Have they forgotten that they've been on the wrong side of the battle over and over and over again? And yet everybody's with the rebel. If some of these were the same men that sought for Saul, then shame on them. But if there were other men, as a result of the many of the original elders having died at this point, then shame on them also for not knowing their own history. 
And this tells us something about the mindset of these men. They were not only undiscerning, they were afraid. They were just gravitating toward the winning side, or at least the side they thought was winning. They were not principled men. They were vacillating men. This side is winning, we'll go over there. That side is winning, we'll go over there. Not principled. They saw a powerful revolt by a celebrity leader, a man who had risen up to be a celebrity, and instead of standing for the true king, a proven king, they defected to the side that they thought would win. Now that Absalom signed off on the plan, along with the elders of Israel, along with the elders of Israel, Ahithophel thought everything was settled. Sounds good, sounds like a good plan, but nothing was actually settled. In an interesting turn of events, Absalom, without any provocation by anyone else, calls upon Hushai to weigh in on Ahithophel's plan. And then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear likewise what he says. Why would he do that? Wasn't Ahithophel's word as the word of God? Why then would Absalom seek another man's counsel? Well, consider the natural reason first. Hushai knew David better than anyone else, even better than Ahithophel. He knew his demeanor. He knew how he thought. He probably knew what he would do in any given military situation. It was the better part of wisdom for Absalom to ask Hushai for his input. And this shows that Absalom is also very cunning, a very cunning man and a worthy opponent. But now consider the supernatural reason. God was moving Absalom to call upon Hushai, David's spy, so that Hushai could frustrate Ahithophel's devilish assault on the legitimate king whom God had placed on the throne of his kingdom. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel had spoken after this manner, Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai, you think about this. Think about the resolve of Hushai the spy. You're going against a man whose counsel was as the counsel of God. And now you're going to say, no, no good. Very bold. Very, very bold. Very bold. Because the man is a principal man. He knew that God was with him. And he's going to tell Absalom, no. But notice how he does it. He's brilliant. And Hushai said unto Absalom, Notice what he doesn't say. The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good. That's not what he says. Now, of course, that's what he says, but that's not all he says at this time. I'm not saying it's not good. How could I do that? Because he says the voice of God. But maybe the timing is wrong. Maybe we need to reconsider the timing. So notice the cunning of the spy. And this this must have blown Ahithophel's mind. Remember, he's also a narcissist. And yet, Hushai is so crafty. He doesn't condemn Ahithophel's strategy outright. Since that might be suspicious, that might bring suspicion to his motive, he simply says the timing is not right, implying that's a good, good in principle. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Ahithophel, great. But you know what? I'm not so sure now is the time. So he's not just putting him off totally, he's saying the timing is off. And by saying the timing is off, seems to imply that Hushai knows something that Ahithophel doesn't, 
And if the timing is off, the plan will fail because Hushai knows David better than Ahithophel. So maybe Absalom is thinking, maybe he knows something that Ahithophel doesn't know. And in his explanation, where the timing is off, Hushai describes the situation very differently than Ahithophel, as if to say that Ahithophel really doesn't know what he's talking about by stating that David is weak and afraid. In other words, he's mischaracterizing the king. Hushai is saying just the opposite. Moreover, he tells Absalom that if the plan is to converge on the entire company, they will be unsuccessful in capturing and killing David because David does not lodge with the people. He doesn't stay with his army. He hides all alone by himself in an undeclosed position. Furthermore, he tells Absalom that the men are in a state of viciousness, not in weakness, not in fear, but in viciousness, and he likens them to a bear who has been robbed of her cubs. And you know what a bear robbed of her cubs is like. They will kill even if they will be killed. So in other words, he's telling Absalom that David's army is ready to fight to the death. And they will be forever at odds with Absalom. No peace, no kumbaya, they're going to be at odds. Unlike the council of Ahithophel, where everyone would come back to Jerusalem peaceably and bow before the new king, Hushai paints a very different picture of the situation. What Ahithophel was suggesting as to the reality of the situation and the future of Absalom's campaign was just not so. A new plan had to be considered. And this was the intel that Absalom and Ahithophel were unaware of. And yet, it was a critical piece of information that would either make or break Absalom's entire effort. We see this in verse 8. For said Hushai, thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men. In other words, Ahithophel doesn't realize how strong David is. That they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field, and thy father is a man of war and will not lodge with the people. Notice what Hushai did. He caused doubt in Absalom's mind as to the plan. He caused doubt in the mind of Absalom in order to redirect him into what would derail his effort to destroy David. And this was a brilliant move of counterintelligence. Hushai's misinformation tactic was potent as all misinformation tactics are. But the reason why it was so successful, I believe, is because Absalom was unsure of his own plan. If he was sold out to Ahithophel, he would say, well, I'm going to go with Ahithophel. But he wasn't sure. He still was not sure. God had put doubt in his mind. But I believe there's something else here, something glaring. And what is glaring is that Absalom is not talking to God. He's not praying. He's not seeking the counsel of God. He's seeking the counsel of men. And when you seek the counsel of men, you are easily persuaded in any direction that they want to take you. He's not securing the counsel of God, and that made him susceptible to failure. So without the counsel of God, without the counsel of God's word, the plans that we make are susceptible to failure. Without the counsel of scripture, we can never be sure that our plan will be successful. And we can only be sure is if we counsel with God. Once we use the Word of God to secure our direction, since it is the Word of God is the pillar and ground of truth, we can then boldly continue on our quest. Now once Hushai brings Absalom into doubt, he's easily able to redirect him by giving him his own counsel. 
He tells him where to look for David while holding back his exact location. Verse 9. Behold, he is hid now in some pit. I'm not going to tell you what pit, but he's not with his army. Or in some other place. Notice how cunning, vague, he's vague. But Absalom's hearing it like, wow, we can find him. We, we're going to find that pit. We're going to find that place. And it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first that whosoever heareth it will say, there is a slaughter among the people that followeth Absalom. And then in verse 10 we read, and he also that is valiant whose heart is as the heart of a lion. Notice he uses this wording. The heart of a lion shall utterly melt for all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man and they which be with him are valiant men. Hushai suggests that David might strike the first blow, demoralizing Absalom's men, since he is a very valiant warrior. And he uses the terms bear and lion as if even to remind David's son Absalom that David's exploits began as a shepherd boy when he destroyed a bear and a lion. So notice he's crafting the language, he's crafting the wording. And so he tells Absalom to gather all Israel to his side in order to overrun David. Verse 11, Therefore I counseled that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee from Dan even to Beersheba as the sand that is by the sea for multitude and that thou goest to battle in thine own person. In other words, I want you there. You go. Don't send Ahithophel. You go. Note, however, that he tells Absalom that he is to go himself. Because here, Hushai is playing into the hubris of Absalom. He wants him to be in the battle to face off the king himself. Because if Absalom killed the king, it would be a great victory. But if someone else killed the king, like Ahithophel, like he said he wanted to kill the king, it would shame Absalom, since this was actually Absalom's fight. Now in ancient battles, it was the greatest honor when the king of an enemy was killed. That individual would then be given great riches and titles. Absalom couldn't allow anyone else that opportunity, and Hushai knew it. He couldn't allow Ahithophel to kill the king. Absalom had to kill the king. Hushai then almost guarantees a victory for Absalom. Even if the king runs and tries to hide in some city, he will be found and assassinated. And he says this in verses 12 and 13. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him. And notice, I could just picture this Hushai giving this counsel to Absalom, who is so bloodthirsty at this point. He's saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to get him. We're going to kill him. We're going to get the kingdom. And so, notice, we're going to come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground, and of him and all the men that are with him, there shall be not left one so much as to stand against us. Moreover, even if he runs to the city, then all Israel will bring ropes to the city, will draw that city, the whole city, into the river, and there won't be one stone found upon another. What a battle cry. What encouragement. But this was all God's plan to frustrate the counsel of Ahithophel. This was God's determination from the start, and it was an answer to David's prayer of 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 31, when he said, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. The prayer is answered. The prayer is answered. God's answering David's prayer shows that David, even at this point, under this 
heavy hand, this frowning providence of chastisement is still God's man. He's still God's righteous man. Even though he's enduring the chastising consequences of his sin, God had forgiven him and he was still answering his prayers. But here's another lesson as well. Simply because we are in the midst of chastisements as a result of our sin does not automatically mean that we are out of the grace of God and that God is deaf to our prayers. If we are children of God, no matter what the circumstance, God will hear are the prayers of His children, even after He disciplines them for transgressions. And that's a great, great encouragement. Those who are the children of God will always have the ear of their Father. God will always hear the prayer of His children, even while He's disciplining them for their transgressions. David knew that he had been forgiven. And that the Spirit of God, His presence and His attention, His power and His comfort had not been removed from Him. So hearing the counsel of Hushai, Absalom makes this declaration. But note the foreboding end of the rebellious son. Verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon... Notice to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. So here it is. Absalom says the counsel of Ahithophel is not good. But the reason why he is able to embrace Hushai's counsel and not Ahithophel's is because the Lord, notice, the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. And here we see that God clearly prescribes calamity for Absalom as well as Ahithophel. Now the question is why? What was Absalom's sin that made him such a reproach to the Lord? Why is God so angry at Absalom? Why is he going to totally destroy the man? Why would he do that? What was Absalom's sin that made him such a reproach to Yahweh? Well, I do not believe for a moment that it was for the murder of his brother, as horrible and as sinful as that was. Was that a factor? It might have been. But I don't believe that was the reason. Surely God could have forgiven Absalom like he forgave David. Why forgive David? Why not Absalom? Why forgive one and not the other? Now, whatever sin Absalom was guilty of, whatever sin that was, God could have forgiven him, but he did not. And that is so obvious. I think the real reason why God is prescribing evil calamity against Absalom is because, really, the bottom line is he rebelled against the legitimate king. He rebelled against the legitimate authority of David, which God had given to him. And to rebel against the legitimate authority of God's anointed is to rebel against God. That was Absalom's fundamental problem. He was rebelling against God's anointed. God had initially promised the nation of Israel that their enemies would become God's enemies. Remember in Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 and following, we read this, Behold, I send a messenger before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. He's speaking about the Christ. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. David was God's anointed in the same way 
that Christ and today's legitimate saints are also God's anointed. We are the anointed of God. We represent the legitimacy of the Christ. Absalom was seeking to overthrow the anointed of the Lord in the same way that the state and the tyrannical despots throughout history have tried to overthrow the legitimate witness of Christ and His church who are God's anointed people. According to the inspired Word of God, according to the inspired Word of God, rebels will all be destroyed as God frustrates their plans and brings them to utter destruction. So all of the plans of the wicked... God is going to frustrate their plans. We have it proven in history. We have it promised by the God who cannot lie. We need to continue to pray that God would frustrate the plans of the wicked. Absalom was unable to recognize the providential work of God in raising David as the legitimate king. And it was Absalom's blindness that destroyed him in the same way that the state is blind to the fact that the true church of Jesus Christ has legitimate authority in all things that have to do with truth, ethics, and God's law word and how they apply to the ministry of the state. And so, whenever a governing body seeks to rob the church of her legitimacy and her authority, by usurping, hijacking, ignoring, or minimizing her legitimate authority, it is doing exactly what Absalom tried to do and failed with terrible results. We should never be comfortable when the state seeks to usurp the authority of the saint or the authority of the church. We should never allow that. That is blasphemous. We need to stand for that authority which is given to us in Christ. So once Absalom, Ahithophel, and the followers of Absalom's rebellious quest agreed to the strategy of David's friend Hushai, he immediately shares the news with Zadok and Abitah, the priests of God, that they are now to go and warn David of Absalom's plan. We see this in verses 15 and 16. Then said Hushai unto Zadok and to Abitah, the priests, Thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and thus have I counseled. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this, lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. So since the priests were now trusted, trusted allies of David, Hushai brings the message to the priests, and they are in turn to dispatch the message through Jonathan and Amahaz to David. Now, in their attempt to warn David, they are spotted by a young man and forced to hide with the help of a woman. We see this in verse 17 and 18. Now, Jonathan and Amahaz stayed by Engrogel. Now, Jonathan and Amahaz stayed by Engrogel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went and told them, and they went and told King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Behorim, which had a well in his court, whither they went. Now notice again what we have in this situation. We have two men, two spies, aided by a woman. The translation calls her a wench. And a wench is a very derogatory title, much like identifying Rahab as a prostitute. But I believe that... These descriptions are, are a bit inaccurate. 
First, if Rahab was actually a prostitute and not simply an innkeeper, she was the keeper of an inn, if you remember, why then did one of the spies, Salmon, and we know that for a fact, marry her? Now, of course, he could have, because Christ marries us as harlots, uh, spiritually speaking, but I'm not so sure if she actually was a harlot. Now, maybe this wench also was not a derogatory individual, a individual that was uh, of ill repute. I believe that the point that God is making with Rahab and with the wench is simply that she was not a, a natural-born Hebrew. She was a, a pagan and had to be converted. The word wench should actually be translated more actually as a bondmaid, someone who's a servant. And this woman is a servant who most likely was a not a natural-born Hebrew, a pagan. Yet both of these women symbolize the non-ethnic Hebrews who are redeemed by God. She becomes the hero in the same way that Rahab became the hero during the days of Joshua. Note her clever tactics. Verse 19, And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. So she hides it in the well. She puts corn on it, and no one knows anything about it and she saves the men alive. So she hides them in a well. But when she's interrogated by Absalom's men, she lies again. Righteously, she lies, frustrating their mission entirely. We dealt with that in the past, how lying to wicked men is something that God commends, not condemns. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman to the house, they said, where is Ahamaz and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, they be gone over the brook. Look, you got to go over there. Just go. They're over there. When they had saw it and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now this gives David a chance to do what Absalom feared that he might be able to do, to get all of his people over the Jordan River safely. If David gets over the Jordan River safely, it's going to be a whole lot harder for Absalom to destroy the king. And it came to pass, after they were departed, that they came out of the well and went and told King David and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan by the morning light. There lacked not one of them that was not gone over Jordan. That's what Absalom didn't want. It would have taken David all night to bring his entire company over the Jordan River. But he was given that opportunity through Hushai's counsel. And that was so infuriating, not only for Absalom, but especially to Ahithophel. He was telling Absalom that you can win by following my counsel, and yet his counsel was frustrated. If his counsel was agreed to, David would not have had the time to pass over everyone through the river. He would have been snared that very night. Instead, by the cunning of Hushai, David is given time to successfully pass over the river, providing he and his entire company safe passage from the wrath of the rebellious Absalom. And this is just too much to bear for Ahithophel. Just too much. And so when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher his father. In the same way that Judas disposed of himself in the most shameful of ways, so too does Ahithophel likewise. We shall consider Ahithophel's suicide, the people's support of David, 
and his further strategies next when we continue in our exposition on the second book of Samuel. And this we shall do, God helping us unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen.